Welcome back to The Uncomfortable Truth. I want to talk about uh, conventions right now because we've just seen, if we've chosen to, the Democratic and Republican conventions. And it seems to me that both of them are all about emotion and not intellect. They're all about trying to get people to act in a certain way, to feel certain things, to react in a certain way. And I suppose that's good in a way, but the absence of intellect didn't help. What are the platforms? Who's going to do what? It's not good just to be against something. Moreover, if you just look at them in terms of emotions, and this is a nonpartisan statement, I'm not making a case for anyone or anybody here, the Democrats appeared morose and the, and the Republicans jubilant. It was one of pessimism versus optimism. It was one of crisis and COVID and pandemic versus a new future and law and order and so on. Then there's the showmanship factor. Trump outshowmaned the Democrats. That was pretty clear. There was a flag factory somewhere that produced all those flags for Trump. He used the accoutrement of his office, and people are screaming, it's not right, it's unethical, it's immoral, it's illegal, it's illicit. Well, come what may, be that as it may, he did. And it was a much more impressive show emotionally, I thought, than the Democrats. I think that ABC, which I happen to watch, the ABC network, with the same journalists, and I use that term advisedly, each, each, for each of the conventions, were clearly pro-democratic. Clearly. I mean, George Stephanopoulos is a former Democratic, I don't know what, chief of staff or speechwriter or something. And the fact is, I like the guy. He's pleasant and he's intelligent, occasionally witty. But when the Democrats did anything at all, it was complimentary. And except for an outcast uh, like uh, Chris Christie, the former Republican governor of New Jersey, who's a much better commentator than he was governor, uh, everything was laudatory. And if there was something uncertain or unsure, that's what they said. With the Republicans, they were much more critical. The, if there's something uncertain or ambiguous, it was, it was negative. There was a lot of criticism. How could he do that? Time will tell, and so on and so forth. So I think ABC, like almost all news outlets, print and media, is biased toward the left, and it showed. I thought the proportional timing for the Democrats was very interesting. Uh, you know, you think, you think of the Republicans as, as a party of accountants and analytics. Well, the Democrats actually apportioned time for speakers based on, I think, relative importance. And it was shocking to me. But uh, I don't know what you make of it, that, that AOC, you know, the, the near now young, youthful, legendary progressive uh, who wants to kill cows and have airplanes run on, I think, batteries, uh, she got a minute <laughs> She got one minute out of all this. For both parties, why do I want to hear from wives and daughters? You know, I don't want to hear from the president's wives or the candidate's wives or their daughters. Why would I? Or their children or their relatives. Why would I? I do think that standing in front of a flag while it has a symbolic gesture doesn't make you a patriot. It just makes you an American standing in front of a flag. I think that the virtual nature of the conventions was a far cry from the real. I think that, um, don't be mistaken, virtual reality was not nearly the same as watching the proverbial and metaphoric smoke and back room and elbows and people in the convention halls jostling and shouting over each other. Something about that that sort of does stir the emotions still more, don't you think? And no one's mind has really changed among viewers anyway, right? I mean, come on. Does somebody watch a convention and say, you know, I'm not voting Democratic, I'm voting Republican? Or I'm not voting Republican, I'm voting Democratic? I don't think so. I don't even think the undecideds and the swing votes make their choices based on the conventions. I always thought it was hysterically funny and awfully sad 
that when I would drive up to a polling place and I was walking toward the gym where I would be voting, there were people, I don't know, 20 yards away, whatever the law is, holding signs, beseeching me to vote for their candidate. I would shout back at them. Do you really think I'm going to make my mind on who to vote for by you shouting at me when I walk in? Get a life. Political speech is stilted. It's bombastic. It's pompous. Both parties. Everyone. I'll tell you this, though, objectively. You don't end poverty by creating more of it. And you don't raise revenues with a confiscatory taxing of wealthy people until they disappear. The wealthy people pay most of the taxes in this country. Yes, there are social injustices. And yes, some people control too much of the wealth. But it's not like New Hampshire's license plates, live free or die. There are middle grounds. I attended a Zoom call here in Providence with Kamala Harris. I sent $1,000 to the Biden campaign so that I could sit in on this. And there were 380 people I could see on the Zoom call, the numbers listed. And if that number's accurate, since the 1000 was a minimum, they probably made north of $500,000 on the call. I... Uh, it was technologically imperfect. If the Democrats can't run a Zoom meeting, how can they run the country? The governor of Rhode Island and one of our two senators couldn't be brought on. They couldn't get them on Zoom. Technological problems. Kamala Harris was extremely gracious. She said it was the sixth such Zoom meeting she did that day. She was, I thought, fresh nonetheless. I thought she was interesting and I thought she was very, very calm and gracious. I was very impressed by her manner, by her comportment. The questions were pretty much pre-selected. They called on 12 different people, but you could tell they had vetted the questions. And they were all inane. One was a softball. The others were neither here nor there. There was one woman sitting there, a young woman with her husband, putting their, their young child between them, who actually read, I could see her reading off camera, holding something, uh, actually read a speech that she had prepared as her question, uh, and, and was extolling her own background in raising money for a particular cause. I mean, it was ridiculous. Uh, at the end of the day, though, I don't think anybody's mind was going to be changed. And I, I did note that one uh, gentleman who had a question, who was vetted and had a question, he said to her, uh, can I call you Kamala? And she said to him, well, Senate is not on my birth certificate. Of course you can. But I thought it was a very rude request. I didn't think that request would be made of a white male or a black male and probably not of a white woman, but definitely shouldn't have been made of a black woman. Can I call you Kamala? No, you call her Senator. We haven't had a great statesman in this country for 80 years. That's the sad truth. You know, we've managed a few good men. We've managed Washington and Jefferson and Lincoln and FDR and Teddy Roosevelt. I don't care if you agree with my choices. Almost all historians do. And whether their statues are pulled down or obliterated or defamed, or there's graffiti on them, we did, we did have some great men. Maybe more recently, Ronald Reagan, who was a terrific eight-year president, I think. But the warm and fuzzy news is that the country's going to succeed and prosper and improve because good enough people will make it do so. Good enough citizenry will make it so. People who rise above will make it so. And no matter who's in the White House, he or she is just renting the place from us. And that is the uncomfortable truth.